0: Welcome, everybody, to the Resistance Broadcast. I'm John. Thanks so much for joining us today. James and Lacey with me, as always. And uh, we have a special one for you. Um, We have no will of the force. I apologize. No Resistance Transmissions. I apologize for that. No tweets from you. But what we do have, uh, as you saw probably by clicking in, is an interview with the animation director of ILM, uh, I think the first Oscar winner we've ever had mm-hmm. on the podcast, if I remember correctly, also an Emmy winner, uh, Hal Hickel. And Lacey, we nerded out pretty hard.
1: Obsessed. I feel like I say that for every guest, but I'm obsessed with Hal Hickel.
0: You do say that, and everyone's the best, <laughs> but he he's certainly up there. and uh, He's it, so it, fun. So James, they're in for a good time right now, right? They gotta uh, buckle up, baby.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we we went into the interview um with, you know, kind of what we had in mind and he just like expanded on every idea and took it to the uh the ends of the story. The all the little tidbits and everything. Um, you know, I, I think there is a big payoff to anybody who's wanting to to go on the journey with how. Yeah
0: yeah and you know there's a lot of uh, i mean it star wars and more uh all the way dating back to his work with toy story and and uh him being a kid and a dreamer i mean it's his story's inspiring but also just the tangents that he takes us on through his answers and, and finds himself coming full circle back around to the root of it it's just Incredible discussion. Obviously, you'll see by the time as you're looking right now, a uh, long episode. so you're in for a really meaty interview with someone who's really important to Star Wars right now, and has been since the prequels, uh, connecting to George Lucas, and you're going to get some fun George Lucas stories in here too, so uh, here it is, our interview with Hal Hickel. Enjoy. <laughs> Hal, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Resistance Broadcast. We appreciate you taking the time to chat with us.
3: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Now, um our audience obviously knows what you're all about. We uh just gave you a glorious intro at the top of the show here. But I I have to I have to ask you just from a real life just to break the ice here, real life standpoint, if you're at a out at a party and you meet you know acquaintances, casual people, and they're like, "Oh, Hal. So, what do you do? Like, how deep do you go? Like, and then like to avoid the follow-ups, and or do you like the follow-ups? Like, how does that go when Hal Hickles at a party and he meets people and and he tells them what the, what you do?
3: I keep it as brief as possible because I find that people glaze over pretty quickly if I try to get too far into <laughs> details, <laughs> you know. And and, it, and that depends on the person too because. What I'm mainly talking about is this sort of technical aspect of my work. i trying to get too far into how we use computer animation and yeah, Yeti. Yeah, I just try to keep it at a very high level. But even with okay. regard to Star Wars stuff, because you never know. Sometimes you can be talking to somebody who's, that's amazing to them. And they're like, oh my God, Star Wars, that's so cool. And But you'd be surprised how many people I meet who are like, oh, yeah, I never really. Which is going to sound really weird to you and your audience. But yeah. I right. I meet people regularly who are like, Yeah, I haven't, I think I saw one of those film, you know. So then it's Yeah, you know, right. It's like <laughs> um
1: man, if people are glazing over with you, I'm in I'm in trouble. <laughs> no,
3: but I yeah. i, I <laughs>
1: I'm in a lot of trouble at parties. When we get to go to parties. I think against. it's common
3: with visual effects folks generally that that it, they get mm-hmm. they've been through the thing of aunts and uncles and, or or just people, random people asking, Oh, what do you do when you start to tell them in detail? And they just kinda like uh and you're like oh okay <laughs> uh, hang on let me <laughs> i work on movies i work on movies is that you know how's that yeah so. are you are you
0: uh, it's so i'm sure every once in a while you meet the person who's like oh man i've been dying to find out how they how they do this and are you like do you your ears spring up or are you just like ah i don't want to talk about no, 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 today
3: it's fun it's super fun <clears throat> honestly okay. it is That's i cool. if somebody's really into it and and is, you know, and has good questions and is really interested in it, I, I love that. It, re- it reminds me that what I'm doing, that I need to be grateful for what I do for a living because, you know, there's people out there who find it super exciting and that's awesome. That's, that um, it's kind of it? like, you know, we we can give, uh, you know, personal tours to so like friends and family at Lucasfilm, of course not during COVID, but that's one of the things I've, I always enjoy doing because that totally reminds me when people are walking around ilm and there's you know models and different things from past shows and they're all jazzed about it and it you know reminds me to be grateful that you know yeah it's a cool job that is cool. and i'm lucky so
2: <laughs> do you feel like you've ever gotten like two behind the curtain because i definitely know like the when there's like music that i listen to having been in the music industry i go oh you know i don't know that this is as special to me as it probably is to a lot of people because i know what they're doing i know the tricks i see oh sure the the secrets on their live show and stuff like that so like do you ever feel like star wars is kind of not as engaging as it once was well uh
3: no um it's engaging in a different way now Than it would be if Mm -hmm. i were just you know a fan and didn't have any connection to the inside um i can't enjoy it in the same way that i did you know before i worked on it but i enjoy it in a different way now that to me is just as rewarding so it's not it never becomes Mm -hmm. like you know mm, whatever more star wars yeah whatever (laughs) Or, or or really any you know or just filmmaking generally it that's never gotten i mean everyone has hard days where they (laughs) <laughs> where they kind of hate their job or whatever just you know for this or that mm-hmm. reason um and i'm not saying that but uh generally speaking no i i still love what i do um whether it's star wars or or films for other studios that that are unrelated to star wars i'm still jazzed about it i like you know getting in there and doing that's, the work
0: is there is there one that's so cool is there one scene since you so you've been working you've even with Lucasfilm ILM since uh, Phantom Menace* is that right? Mm-hmm. Is is there one scene since you've been with the company that you wish you could have seen as a fan and been gotten the surprise that we all get? Is there one that stands out? You're like, man, that would have been amazing to see as a fan.
3: Um, well, gosh, it would have to be the Vader reveal in *Empire*, but of course, I got to see that as a fan. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. can't yeah. think of a, mm-hmm. I can't think of a reveal like within one of the movies that was quite that huge since then um they really compares. so like you mm-hmm. know there are definitely there have been movies i've worked on over the years right that wow this would have been cool well, like for instance rogue one i i try to um any film i work on i try to get out on opening weekend because you know you don't get invited to a premiere on every project but generally do when there's or you know i often have i've been lucky and And there are other friends and family screenings and this and that. But on opening weekend, I try to get out and just see it with like an audience, like just a a normal audience who's seeing it for the first time. And that was especially great on Rogue One because, um, you know, the film, especially in the third act, takes some turns that I don't think anyone expects when they're, hey, it's Star Wars, you know, and then everyone starts getting killed. (laughs) <laughs> and it was really a trip to kind of watch the audience, but also like you know when Tarkin is revealed, and to look, to kind of gauge people's reactions and see how they think of that, and and lay at the end, and all that, and the Vader scene in the hallway at the end, and all that stuff was super fun. So that's the way I do it now because I'm because I am on the inside. The way I kind of get that uh, excitement of being, you know, a, a, a fan. Um, I do it by, you know, embedding myself in the theater on opening weekend and just soaking up the reactions of, of folks. And, and that's My, almost as good. Almost as good.
0: So a friend of mine, Chad, and I'm going to say his name because I want to embarrass him. We saw <laughs> we saw Rogue One uh, opening night, and uh, he had had a few drinks, and he's not he's not a <laughs> diehard Star Wars fan, but, but he <laughs> likes Star Wars a lot, and he was there with me opening night. And Tarkin comes on screen and they go and he goes, I can't believe that I got that guy back. He looks the same.
2: And I, I started, I, you don't want
0: to, I don't want to make a scene in a, a the movie for everybody, but I like almost lost it. I was like, dude, come on. I mean, good job to you guys. Cause you fooled Chad. But I was yeah. like, wow, that is amazing that he didn't realize. I
1: love that. His name is Chad, Chad in that story. Peter yeah, we- Cushing has
0: been 65 years old for the last 40 years. It's
1: fantastic. Yeah. We-
3: we had the whole range of reactions with him, which is fine. It's what we expected. You can't when you're doing a known well, number one, CG humans are just hard to do. They're the hardest thing in our in oh, our yeah. business to do. Um, and it's even harder when it's a known um celebrity, you know, a known actor, right? Because everyone kind of knows who what they look like. And
2: and close ups of the face. It's not right. like they're it's not a person just over there in the distance in the dark. Or yeah, something. exactly. And yeah. I think we got, particularly with Tarkin, I think we got uh, as
3: far as as I hope to, which is to say that we had reactions like your friend Chad. We were like, "Wow, how'd they get that guy back?" Or if they <laughs> hadn't had a drink before beforehand, might have said, <laughs> "Might have said, well, wow, they found an actor who looks just like Peter Cushing. That's amazing. You know, that's great. That's awesome." Then, of course, you know, you've got people who maybe are visual effects nerds or whatever, or work in the industry who are more critical and, you know, you know, I've seen lots of, you know, enough comments online to know that there was a segment of the audience that was like, well, I didn't quite buy it, but blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I just knew going into it that no matter how good a job we did, there are always gonna be some reactions like that. Because like I said, you, if you know the actor's dead, then you're looking for the effect. You know it's an effect, it has an effect, right? Mm-hmm. The guy's not living. Mm-hmm. So there's only so, you know, you can only take it so far. But I was happy with the reaction because I've met tons of people who've been like, "Oh yeah, my dad is not that into snowers, and he had my parents had no idea that it was or or whatever, you know." So I've you know Mm -hmm. gotten lots of good Chad reactions like that 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 tell me that you know (laughs) that we did that we did okay. Um, But it's it's really that's a hard it's a hard thing to do. I I don't like doing digital humans to be honest. It's a lot of work, knowing that at the end of the day you're still going to have a segment of the audience that balk at it just because they know it can't because the thing is, if you were doing a CG human that wasn't recognizable. Well, what's the point of that? I mean, you might as well just hire an actor to play that role if it's not a specific person. So you're almost always doing, you know, a young version of an older actor or an actor who's passed away or something in, in these cases. And to me that I just you spend all your time just trying to get the likeness perfect and everything. And you're still going to have a segment of the audience, no matter how good it is. But that said, yeah. like five, four or five months after Rogue One, Blade Runner 2049 came out. And and my, my friend, um, John Nelson was a visual effects soup on that. And the Rachel, the young Rachel they did, uh, yes. was, I just thought I was like, okay, the bar has been raised again. I thought that was, I was insane. I thought yeah. that was amazing. So anyways. Uh, too much talk, too much um, talk about I, digital I was, humans.
2: <laughs> no, I, I wanted to go further. I was going to ask, like, you're talking about a certain segment of people that are are critical of it because they're in the industry or they, they, you know, know that kind of yeah. stuff. What What is your opinion when you see people trying to correct visual effects in, in some um, of your work?
3: It's totally understandable, uh, particularly now with the whole deepfakes thing. I mean, you know, that, that tool set being free and available to anyone who wants to dig into it and do it, uh, I don't blame them. And, Um, the thing that people have to remember though, with, with one exception, which is, um, well, what I was going to say is generally what they they do is because they don't have access to the footage that we started with. So what they're usually doing is working on top of the work we've already done. So I don't worry about it where I don't look at it and go, oh my God, they, you know, they've done better than that. It's like, well, yeah, they started with what we did and then they, and, and, and even with that, you could, um, you can make the argument, well, then why didn't you do that if it looks better? But then you what you get into is a subjective thing. is like, does it look better? It looks different. I could point to some things that I don't like as much and some other things that I do like better. So anyway, so there's that whole side of it, which is in the mm-hmm. cases where they've done it where they've basically sort of run a deep fake on top of our Tarkin, let's just say, or Leia or whatever. Mm-hmm. I sure. to me I'm like, well, yeah, okay, you you know. And, and you know, you ran on you, you built on top of what we did and it's kind of subjective, whether it's better or not. Now the exception to that is uh, the quarter guys, they did um, a Luke thing recently and they did a thing and I admired this where they went all the way back to the beginning, they got somebody Mm -hmm. from their crew that they felt resembled Luke enough physically or whatever. And they, they shot their own plates, did their own work on top of it. And there I was like, okay, that's legit. They've gone all the way back to the beginning and done the whole process themselves now i think that even there though the end result it's a it's a subjective toss-up it's like well is it better it's certainly different it's a lot different and they um because they don't have bosses they're free to do whatever they want like they're like well we thought it'd be cool if there were sparks over here and the interactive lighting would really make it feel (laughs) in the plate and it's like well yeah that's great but what if that's not what the director wanted or what, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so they have a freedom yeah. that allows them to kind of just play in their sandbox. Now, none of that means that it's bad. It just means that they're not, uh, quite playing in the same ballpark that we are in terms of the constraints on them and the, all the things that have to be taken into account where, you know, they, they can just, they it's their sandbox and they can do whatever they want. Um. But True.
1: Catch me yelling in caps at yeah. people, shut up, it looks yeah. great. Because um, <laughs> I'm that person. I cried, I was so happy to see Luke. I felt like I was seven again. I thought it was absolutely perfect. Oh, so man. those people, no, I'm, I'm yelling I'm at caps. And,
3: but the shorter answer is, you know, it doesn't make me angry. I don't think those people are jerks. It's sure. like, it's awesome. You know, they're passionate about visual effects. They have an interest in it. Right, right. Go for it. Yeah. But at the same time, I I don't look at it and uh, and, and go, oh my God oh yeah well that's it well, let's hire those guys instead you know it's like <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, you yeah. know I, but it, it's a great conversation to have and deepfakes is you know
4: mm-hmm.
3: I, but here's the thing uh what i'm way more interested in in terms of deepfakes in that whole world Um there's a film this year in contention uh, a documentary in the oscars called welcome to chechnya and it's a film about um uh, gay people in chechnya who are their lives are at risk because of The police are arrest, rounding them up and, and torturing them. It's awful. And so there's a network of folks in Russia who have been spiriting these folks out of Chechnya into Russia and then getting them out of Russia to other countries around the world where they can live their lives. Mm -hmm. And because the documentary features some of these folks who are in that transition of, of getting out of Russia, they can't reveal their identities. And then past documentaries, you might've done it with. You know, you, it's a silhouette with like a voice changer, you know,
4: yeah. or something
3: like that. But the filmmakers really wanted the audience to be able to connect with these people and, and empathize with them. And so they used deepfake to give them new faces. Holy so they could cow. still they wow. could still emote, but they didn't look like themselves. And they got Russian-speaking folks to dub their voices. So it's not a voice changer. It's a real human voice, but it's not their voice. And Wow. And they didn't try to do it seamlessly, like in many shots, you can see a little blurred edge or something because the point wasn't to fool the audience into thinking it's a different person. The point was merely to disguise them but disguise them in a way that them, they could yeah. emote oh, okay. that to me, I'm like I've been thinking about that nonstop since I saw it, and so to me, that's a way more interesting application of uh and worthwhile i mean let's say it um worth application of this technology for something you know life-saving it's
0: it's it incredible
2: it's crazy how much power there is in technology yep. i think when we think about this type of technology we fear it immediately because we go oh no now you can make anybody say oh, anything but like we forget about yeah. the the humanitarian use of technology which is involved in protecting yeah
3: And it really pleased me because like you just mentioned i mean that's been my you know something in the back of my mind ever since deepfakes appeared which was like oh boy you know this is going to be ugly mm-hmm. we're going to start seeing all kinds of fake videos of politicians or whatever and then to see this documentary and i thought oh well here's the here's the light side of of the force
0: right right
3: of this force right uh being you know used for for, yeah. for good so anyways whatever so deepfakes
0: <laughs> yeah ki- killer man, answer man yeah. i loved that yeah. um I don't what a great I don't discussion. know what you can answer on this, but in terms of the decision-making and the back and forth with the creators of the show, like Jon Favreau and with The Mandalorian, is it a situation where he comes to you and your team and he's like, I don't want to recast a Luke Skywalker. I want you guys to do all this, make it work. Or is it like you guys push back and say like, you know, he wanted an actor and you're like, nah, we got this idea. Like what's the give and take? Is it, does it depend on the creator? Is it, is it uh more of ILM has a set standard for each project? Like how does that give and take work?
3: Um, Yeah, sure. The, um, I, I will say that particular aspect of the effects of season two is probably the thing I can talk about the least, but I will say this one. Uh, it was always important for everyone involved to have Mark involved. So it's not just like, well, we'll recast and then we'll deep fake over him. Mark had to be involved with crafting the performance. Um, and so he was. He was there on set when the scene was shot, and uh, you know, he's totally involved all the way through. Um, also, um uh Peyton Reed, who directed that episode,
4: mm-hmm.
3: uh, he had done some previous uh de aging work in Ant-Man with uh, the Michael Douglas Michael Douglas oh character in Ant Man. Right. And so the yeah. he had worked with some folks and a process and everything for that. And so that played a part in what we did and, and how uh, we did that work. Um, and it was part of the decision-making wow. progress. So uh, Richard Bluff, who's the overall visual effects supervisor on Mandalorian, and, and myself as Anim Soup, we were both very much involved in giving feedback on the work and presenting it to uh, John and Peyton and, and Dave. Um, but those were the primary... I, I would say drivers of how we did the scene that was in season two, which was, you know, Peyton's experience on Ant-Man and that Mark, uh, had to be involved. Um, and then I that drove, you. that drove a lot of the, the pr- sort of procedural decisions later on about how things will be shot and in what order and how we do the work and all that stuff.
0: Oh, that's
3: great. Yeah. Which is a little vague. I realize, yeah. but
0: no, and, and I appreciate <laughs> it. Trust me. Yeah. But then
3: I yeah, can talk I all day like really long about, CGI no. Bampas, but that comes to Mark and
2: his <laughs> to be a little bit higher level. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Mark Hamill involvement is enough for me because I feel like that has been a little bit vague, you know, how, how he was involved in stuff. Yeah. And it's good to hear that he oh, was there. He was on set. And that
3: yeah, was awesome. I mean, I'll just say that for, you know, you talk about, you know, do you, does this ever become blase? You know, being on a movie set, for the purpose of shooting a Star Wars scene, um, you know, with Mark Hamill, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever...
1: I was going to say, as a Star Wars fan, like, how do you ever top that? Being I don't, like, I
3: think I just had to Luke retire. Skywalker. Yeah, I think I'm done.
1: <laughs> and it was
3: it. <laughs> I was pretty... Hal's going nice. to more parties
0: so being, now.
1: <laughs> yeah, nice. being a Star Wars fan, what is your, just as a fan, what is your favorite Star Wars movie? And then which one, which episode of The Mandalorian has been your favorite? I
3: don't really like any of them that much. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> uh, no.
1: And, and uh, done. Uh, done. And scene. Done.
3: Um, no. Uh, um, Ep4 will always be my favorite. I recognize that for many reasons, and you know, that can be pointed to Empire Strikes Back, is more polished and has more sort of grown up drama, et cetera. You know, I've I've kind of been aware for many years of of all the reasons that many people, at least for a long time, we're kind of in a new world now, because everyone has a new perspective on the prequels, which they didn't have when they first came out. And then everyone, you know, and then there's Mm -hmm. people have different opinions about sequels and there's different generations and all that. But for a long time, you know, the conventional wisdom was empire's the best film of the original trilogy, at least. But to, for me, nothing's ever going to talk for. And that's not, it's not like I can, would ever try to convince anybody of that because it's, for me, it's just very personal about having, you know, seen it at age 13 and had my my consciousness expanded, you know, massively. Absolutely. And I was, yeah, I was living on a ranch in Colorado and I wanted to work in animation. and I, And I also was a NASA nerd. So like it couldn't have, I couldn't have been a better target for it because here's Luke, yeah. you know, he's a farm boy. He wants to go to the stars. I'm a farm boy. I want to go to either the real stars or the Hollywood star, like one or the other.
1: You're like, this was written for totally. me, and, and I was already making wow. stop
3: motion films before it came out. Um, so the it, so it interested me both on the fictional level of you know Luke and the whole fantasy of it. But the filmmaking level of it, I wanted to know how all everything you know they did everything because I, I was doing stop motion then, but it broadened my interest in visual effects into wow. matte painting and miniatures and animated effects and you know all the other stuff. So um, so it's always going to be always going to be that film. Seventy seven.
0: Your your so your Wikipedia says you wrote a letter and Gary Kurtz wrote you back at age twelve. Is that is that true? And can you can you tell us like. Do you remember doing that? And do you remember like getting the letter back? And like, what, would you oh, remember yeah. that
3: experience? Yeah. I mean, they had announced that there was going to be a second film, and I thought, oh, well, I've got a good idea for a second. You know, thirteen-year-old, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I was fourteen <laughs> by then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I wrote out, you know, some terrible idea, and I sent it off to. Mm-hmm. I, g- I guess you got to tell us have... what
0: your idea was, Hal. You're not getting off the hook. Do you yeah. remember um,
3: that? I, I didn't. You know, I actually have the letter somewhere because they returned it. Well, I'll get that in a second um the, i don't off the top of my head don't remember the exact thing but it was something you know number one we didn't know luke and leia were brother and sister right so in my mind mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. off you know running across the galaxy chased by the empire with probably with kids in tow by this point you know like a couple of kids because i was okay. a kid and i just thought yeah there should be kids in this right that i wanted to see myself right. in it so um
2: oh yeah. yeah so it was something like that you know George thought but I I
3: should uh, it's funny because people have asked me that a lot and I need to the letters in a box somewhere and I need I have it but I need to dig it out and see um (laughs) my in my terrible (laughs) 13 year old handwriting you know (laughs) on like lined paper um but I so I sent it off (laughs) to the I guess Lucasfilm headquarters in LA I didn't send it to a fan club or anything I don't know how I got the address <laughs> um because their their headquarters were in in la at that time he hadn't yet moved back up to uh, northern california
4: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: and so i got a letter back and it wasn't from gary it was from gary's assistant bunny bunny also and um bunny and you know it was a very nice kind of sort of not a form letter but for 14 year old me it was a bit disappointing you know because it was like well, you know, our lawyers have instructed us not to read any outside oh. uh, mm. things, so we're sending back <laughs> your idea unread. But, you know, getting into Hollywood takes a fir- certain cal- uh, combination of talent and luck, uh, and an agent, <laughs> he said. But it was nice, you know, it was kind, but it was also kind of, you know, this is how it's done, and you, you know. Um, mm. But I-, I kept it, I kept the letter in the envelope, and. You know, as the years passed, I started to notice a couple of things. One, it was on this really cool Ralph Macquarie letterhead, which I, thought, oh, you know, as I got a little older, I was like that—that was pretty cool. Um, and then I thought, well, oh, wait a minute, this is Gary Kurtz's, because it says in the thing, you know, assistant to to the producer, blah blah blah. And I was like, you know, when I got a little older and had a little perspective, I was like, why on earth would the assistant to the producer be writing, personally typing? <laughs> right. um, replies to fan <laughs> letters because they must have been getting them by the thousands you know after mm-hmm. star wars came out and as it turns out i years many years like only like seven or eight years ago i ran into dorothy on linkedin of all places
4: oh, wow. and
3: i messaged her and said hey you know a billion years ago i wrote this letter and, I wrote, and it really tickled her and so we had a little conversation about it and i asked her i said well wow. you know why on earth and she said that, you know, in the months leading up to uh, shipping off to the UK to shoot Empire, it was just something she liked to do. And she would answer as many letters as she personally had time to to get that's to. That's awesome. And I just thought, wow.
2: That's oh, a hero. That's, that's so fantastic.
3: Nice. So anyway, so that's the letter story. And then, you know, flash forward many years when we, I, you know, I'm working at ILM now. We're wrapping Phantom Menace. And I had since framed the letter and it's uh, hanging in my cubicle in my in our office at at ILM, mm-hmm. and um <laughs> we were having a big breakfast it was a wrap breakfast for Phantom Menace which finished the project and George was there and people a few people kind of sheepishly started to bring up you know Phantom Menace posters and things for him to sign because it's something nobody would ever do obviously when we're working on the film right it's not done working, yeah. but now we're sort of celebrating it and a little line formed and George is very gracious. And he sat through at his table, you know, start signing things. And Rob Coleman, who was the animation director of the all three prequels. He said, oh man, go get that letter. And after I have to sign it, and I am like, <laughs> like, no, no, no. He said, yeah, yeah go, go get, it, go get it. So I ran back to my desk and took it out of the frame and, and got in line. and I gave it to- Yay! <laughs> And I gave it to George and he, you know, he read it and he kind of chuckled.
2: I feel like I got my letter signed listening to
3: this story. <laughs> you know, he kind of chuckled, and he took the pen, and he underlined talent and luck and wrote, you have it, and then signed his name. Oh, So that was like my big, like, oh. the closing of the wheel, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. I love it. That's yeah. like the, the Jim Carrey wrote himself a check for a million dollars thing.
3: <laughs> i never heard that but that sounds
0: awesome yeah when he was a kid he like and he his <laughs> his family was living in a car his dad had lost his job he said i'm gonna make it big and he wrote himself a check for a million dollars and he's like <sighs> he he, ca- he he cashed it when he make, got his first big thing or whatever like that's so great and then you have that that you have that story like I, i'm sure i've <laughs> I'm sure I have letters that were that went up in the dumpsters at uh, you know like Batman <laughs> fan clubs and stuff. <laughs> Michael Keat never got my letter, Hal. Like, huh? I,
3: I joke that you know my career path has either either been you know that awesome example of someone you know chasing their dreams and finally getting you know achieving them or it's a case of horribly arrested development that I'm doing the job that I set my sights on when I was 13 years old. <laughs> I think it's probably a bit of both. actually. But... <laughs> it's it's, it's, you know, it's lest amazing. Lest I get too, too uh, big-headed about it, really.
0: Does, does it feel fast? Does it feel like you were working on Toy Story last year? Um,
3: kind of. I mean, you know, the, the, yes. The the last couple of decades have rushed by. I mean, I've been busy, uh, (laughs) which is great. I'm grateful for. Um, And yet at the same time, if I really stop and think about it, Toy Story does seem like two lifetimes ago at at the same time. You know, yes, the years have rushed by, but that really does seem like an awful long time ago. But I mean, I remember it vividly, my desk. It was a kind of intense time for me because i had been at Wilverton studios up in portland for six and a half years and i was really excited to get take this job at pixar it was a huge break for me massive break i was super lucky sure. um but it was also my first foray into animating in the computer so there was a lot of stress and you know can i do this and and all that and maybe because of all that sort of uprooting moving to a whole new city and taking a job that i wasn't sure i could do and everything it's really seared in my brain like i can just remember so many details mm-hmm. about that right. time but yeah Cause
0: that because that seemed like that's one of those moments in animation that changed the game when it came to the pixar the 3d animation and it's one of those styles of animation to this day even though it's gotten better and better you compare toy story to toy story 4 and it's just like it looks like real rain puddles and, and yeah. that sort of thing yeah It captures my son's attention. He's two. He likes the Pixar style of animation. It's so vivid, especially with the 4K TVs. And I'm not saying I just sit him in front of a TV all day. Maybe sometimes, (laughs) but it does that. Did did that moment and that movie being a success is that like does Jar Jar Binks happen if that kind of flops? Like, was that the 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 way that George knew uh, we can do a full realized character in a real life? A live-action movie.
3: Yeah, I mean, for George, the the key was Jurassic Park, which came out about three years before that. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and so he knew, and and on and and actually, Pixar was a came from Lucasfilm. It was the Lucasfilm Computer Graphics Group, and they did some shorts and things, and a few pieces for some of the features, like the Genesis effects for Rathicon and the Stained Glass Night in um, uh, mm-hmm. Young Sherlock Holmes uh let's see by the time they were doing the abyss pixar had already been sold off to steve jobs um but anyway so in terms of george's george's path to jar jar or you know realistic cg characters in live action um his had more to do with you know once he'd sold pixar his own little group at ilm now taking on abyss and t2 and Jurassic Park and those were the stepping stones but meanwhile just across the bridge 10 minutes away Pixar was charging ahead and, and they were you know completing their first feature and that was more revolutionary I think for the feature animation business than the visual effects business the visual effects okay. business was really really transformed by Jurassic and the, and a the couple of projects before that and and work that some other non-ILM studios were doing there were some studios in LA that were you know, Tron was done in LA and last starfighter. And so there was an evolution of some of the companies in LA as well. But the really big watershed moment, I think for visual effects was Jurassic Park. I mean, I, I toured, uh, ILM cause I'd met Dennis Mirren at a conference, um, around 91, I think after he'd done, or maybe even earlier 89 or 90, Anyways, he, he'd done. T2. And then he'd taken a sabbatical from ILM to kind of learn computer graphics for himself. He bought a Mac and he just started digging into it. And then he came back to do, uh, I mean, he didn't leave ILM, but he just took a little sabbatical. And then, but his Mm -hmm. next project after that was Jurassic. And uh, anyway, so I'd met him before Jurassic started, but after this sabbatical at this conference and he, and we'd stay in touch. He was very kind, very generous with his knowledge and time and was became a uh, kind of a mentor to me Not kind of it became definitely a mentor to me and encouraged me a lot we talk on the phone periodically and he'd be like you know send a reel down here and i at the time um particularly once the computer graphic stuff was really taking hold i didn't quite feel like i had the right experience under my belt yet but he kept encouraging me anyways all that to say i visited ilm uh right when they were in the middle of making Jurassic park because i was driving down from portland to santa barbara for a friend's wedding and dennis said if you're ever passing through give me a shout i'll give you a tour of ilm so oh, that was my first peek at ilm and they were wow. middle of Jurassic park and in the place because i'd been a visual effects nerd all the way you know since star wars and all the way through the 80s and everything i knew about a lot of the equipment there and the processes and everything and so i was really excited to see um for instance, matte paintings were if you guys I think you guys know, but you know, in the pre digital era, they were actually painted on glass or sometimes masonite
4: yeah. and yeah.
3: photographed and then optically combined with live action. So they had this amazing camera setup for shooting matte paintings, and other equipment like that. And it was all there. And I got to see it. And I was super excited because i had been reading about it in Cinefax, and et cetera all these years. Oh my god, that's the matte camera and this, that and the other. So that was around 92 or whenever. And then um in 91 and then when i came there to work in 96 when i was hired in the middle of 96 so only four and a half years later something like that mm-hmm. all that stuff was gone it was all computer desks and wow. they still had miniature stages and a model shop and all that but all that other equipment so it was a really fast transition um and probably pretty wrenching for a lot of the people at ilm who were doing practical you know optical effects who had to transition or retire or whatever, find a way right. to, you know, get on in this new world. Um, so I kind of missed all that. I, I I'd been working in stop motion in Portland and then I just got this lucky break to take an animation position at Pixar. And that was my transition into CG, which for me was happy because I was excited about it. I was like, this is the future. I want to do this. This is exciting. So right. I wasn't like, you know, I you know, I love stop motion and I hate the computer, but <laughs> <laughs> what what, up, what do do? I was really jazzed about it. Um, so anyways, by the time I came to ILM, that that revolution had already kind of occurred and I could just kind of get in the... I don't remember what question led to all this, but I think I've gone like all off the... <laughs> no, I'm,
1: totally okay, because yeah. actually it must oh. be really cool to see all that stuff come back now from Mandalorian. Yeah, then. totally.
3: Well, actually, but I remember you were asking about Toy Story, hang on, <laughs> and, and the transformation of the industry. <laughs> And so all that, just to <laughs> say that I had my own mini transition from stop motion to CG, but the big really kind of revolutionary transition at a place like ILM from practical effects to CG happened right before I got there. And it just okay. sort of finished happening or was still kind of, the dust was still se- settling as I got there. Cause my first project there was ironically was Jurassic two. And I say ironically, because when Jurassic one came out and I was still doing stop motion, I thought computer animation was going to kill my career. Because I, I was like, I don't know anything about computer animation. I want to be a stop motion animator. And I'm not gonna, they're not going to, they're not going to do visual effects that way anymore. So, anyways, then my mm-hmm. first project at ILM, you know, several years later was uh, was Jurassic Two. But so. Huh. yeah I don't know anyways what so Lacey it's sorry crazy. what were you oh Mandalorian and
1: I was saying it's kind of funny that you went on this tangent because all that stuff has now come back for the Mandalorian they did stop motion stuff yeah. for the Mandalorian they did the model building so what's that been like at ILM and Lucasfilm and that those people that were once like oh what am I going to do now are like oh so I'm back again hey <laughs> like what's Phil up? Tippett
3: came back right <laughs> yeah no it's been really fun um because there are you know we reached a, a place about starting about 10 years ago, I'd say, but really in earnest about five years ago, where there was a, a generation of directors who didn't make films back in the practical visual effects days, but grew up on those films. And so now that they're grown ups and they're making movies, they kind of really wanted to use a lot of, you know, rubber creature masks and animatronics and stuff. Like, like JJ? Yeah. And a lot of that's been great. Um, there have been, I, I could, there are, cases i'm sure though where it's more about nostalgia than necessarily what the right technique is for a thing and and i'm not too into that um and mm-hmm. i'm not talking about my jj i'm just saying just generally across movies i've watched and i've right, seen right. some stuff where mm-hmm. i you know i read an article about you know we're not using any cgi in this movie and then the movie comes out and it's got 1200 <laughs> cgi <visual effects laughs> about, so that they won't mm-hmm. talk about mm-hmm. um <laughs> you know, it, that happens it's just a thing uh <laughs> but the thing with John Favreau is he's, yes, he has nostalgia about different techniques and he's honest about that when, when that's a driver of, of a decision he's making. But I think what he's way more interested in is what is the audience's reaction and how to use the different effects techniques to get the reaction he wants to get out of the audience. And, and you know, sometimes that might be a, a component of that is always nostalgia. Part of it, he understands that there's a segment of the audience that, if they see a rubber mask or a stop motion creature, is going to have um, nostalgia for that. But he also understands that there's younger people who might think it looks weird and creaky and old fashioned looking. Um, so he tries to, you know, find the, the sort of middle path where he's kind of taking <clears throat> from all the different places and using the right tools for the job for, you know, whatever uh, uh, effect we're trying to do. And so we've got, you know, a lot of, rubber, you know, legacy FX has been killing it with the the baby, the child to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but all kinds of other great, like they did great practical corns. We did digital ones as well, depending on what we need right. them to do. But, um, they've just done tons of great stuff on the show, androids and all kinds of things. So they've been amazing. And John is really good at mixing sort of their work with the digital work from IOM and figuring out when and where to use which thing. And you know, I play a role in that as Richard Bluff does and, and uh, Joe Bauer and the other visual effects soups um, and the other directors on the episodes too. obviously have a voice and all that. But I just, John, I first worked with John on the first Iron Man. And even there, we had a lot of conversations about when to use the practical Iron Man suit and when to use a digital suit
4: and,
3: mm-hmm. and had had, and sometimes mixing the two where parts of it were practical and parts of it were digital. And that's, to me that's really i, I love that because it keeps the audience guessing hopefully they'll just sort of give mm-hmm. up at a certain point not worry about what they're looking right at. but sure you know they get that little bit of tack <laughs> yeah exactly but they'll get you know there are things that you can see that you're like well that's rubber yeah, right. rubber. or you know whatever silicone or whatever and then other things where you're like oh i think that's cg but then it'll do something that'll surprise you because Wait, is that really CG or is that really rubber I mean, BB8
1: you know? a prime so, example. Yeah, yeah, everyone thought BBA was, was CG and then BB8 rolled out at Anaheim and everyone yeah. was like, "Wait, what?" That is, yeah. that
0: was, <laughs> that was <laughs> crazy, yeah.
3: BB8 oh, uh, is an hi. awesome example of of great engineering and and just really clever mm-hmm. clever work, yeah, absolutely. Mhm.
2: I want to ask you because th- this is we're, we're going on this path. I had this question coming into the thing is like you're all over the the board with with different types of animation when it comes to claymation, like doing the raisins back in the day um, <laughs> and uh, being involved in, in that type of stuff. And then uh, even in computer animation with like Toy Story, we were talking about Rango later down the line and yep. obviously all sorts of visual effects like w- what we've seen in Mandalorian and, and Star Wars and stuff. But I, I'm curious, what do you, what's out there that is flying under the radar that you think is the next, like maybe a project a colleague of yours is working on that's just pushing the boundaries of something that is, is really cool in animation?
4: Huh.
2: Um, good question. I mean, in terms of technology,
3: uh, real-time stuff is obviously getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We use real-time rendering on the volume, on the LED stage that we shoot on, but it's going to have inroads all over visual effects. Um, terms Not just speeding up people's work, but just in how we even do things <clears throat> because you're able to render things in real time. Um, so that's making big inroads. Uh, also, all kinds of different applications for AI is going to be huge. In fact, the thing to me that's both scary and exciting about AI is that I suspect that, I don't know, five years from now, whatever is big, whatever cool thing it's doing that's really essential to visual effects is something that nobody even thought about now. It's its not like, oh, I can see where mm. it's going and where we're going to end up. Oh, wow. I feel like five or 10 years from now, we'll be like, man, I had no idea this is what we we're going to be doing. This oh, is crazy. Wow. Um, so that's, those are exciting. In terms of specific projects, um, I uh, i don't know if you guys know who Jorge Gutierrez is. He's an animation director. He directed Book of Life um, he's got a he's yes. got a project
1: those are at netflix
3: right now that's kind of he calls it a um, sort of a mexican lord of the rings uh big fantasy sprawling oh, epic but in his kind of signature style and uh so i'm dying to see that when it whenever uh-huh. it comes you know they're in the
2: middle of it do i have no idea do you know what kind of a style are we talking here because uh, like, we'll go- i know oh go ahead for me, I was just going to say like there, there's a lot of really cool stuff that's happening as far as like, so take like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse oh, stuff. They're doing like totally. 3D to try to make it 2D or like Klaus, they're doing 2D and trying to make it look 3D. Yeah. And it's like, uh, that stuff is so cool to me. What kind of a style are we talking about? Uh, his here? style
3: is really unique. It's, it's hard to even describe. You'd have to just kind of look up his artwork. As soon as you see his artwork, good, you, you'll know. Like you'll just see it go. Oh, wow. Okay great because no his stuff looks like nobody else's but i'm glad you mentioned those too, because i right. mean spider-man i was so excited for it to come out and then when it came out i was even mm-hmm. more excited like when i saw it i took my son to a screening and my son he's 20 now so that was a couple of years ago so he was like 18 <laughs> and uh he and i just totally geeked out over that movie it's nice. just so good and you're absolutely right the big a buzzword you hear a lot now particularly at conferences, about Visual effects and animation uh, is NPR, not National Public Radio, but um <laughs> non non-photorealistic is what NPR stands for now. And that rendering style. Because for years and years, especially in visual effects, a big push in rendering technology and CGI technology generally was in achieving realistic images, you know, realistic hair, realistic fire, realistic yeah. skin. Right. Um mm-hmm. but i'm super excited about this whole npr world of of projects like um uh spider you know spider verse and um and klaus you mentioned which is a total trip like just the whole process they went through on that it just looks beautiful and gorgeous
2: so crazy Uh, i'm really
3: excited actually to see wolf walkers which is a 2d animated film uh that's in contention this year it's on my list i gotta watch it shortly actually because voting is is imminent but um uh (laughs) that and excited about i want to see um lupin the 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 cg oh, version yeah, yeah. of lupin that just came out yes um, i haven't seen that yet uh but there's always something new out there get me excited i can't wait to see
2: oh, <laughs> that gets me pumped so
0: uh in terms of the volume because you know we had we have had um you know actors on we've had people who do environmental art we've had stunt people on who worked on star wars uh, in, in terms of you being an animation director and your field and your crew, how has the volume uh, altered or changed, uh, better or worse, or same, uh, your team and your job, uh, as opposed to being on location more often and taking those shoots? You know, how has how that evolved for you?
3: So far, it hasn't changed my job that much. And what I mean by that is most of the creature, character, robot, monster, dinosaur, whatever work, is still post-production. They, they shoot, whether they're shooting on a normal stage, on the volume, on a back lot, on location, whatever. And then later on, we put our creatures in. Now that mm-hmm. said, there are a few little inroads that in the volume work that, um, uh, like for instance, in season one, I think it's episode five or six, where they they end up at the roost, that, that sort of chop shop in space that kind of uh, uh, six, six yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. that uh the hanger in the roost was when the uh, razor crest first flies in and, and mando has that long conversation with his bearded old friend and they're walking around right. different parts of it who
2: who calls it the crest, the crest
3: yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so we had to do we did some digital uh background people for those scenes so like people welding or just walking on catwalks and things mm-hmm. like that that were part of the load What we what we call the load is the the media that's being displayed on the screen as opposed to which is separate from actual set deck that's real that's in the middle of the thing that um you know props and things that people interact with so in right. terms of this the digital real-time rendered scene that's on the what the volume walls we had digital people walking around doing you know, like I say, just uh-huh. crossing and stuff just to kind of fill out the background,
2: and you re- and you reuse all those assets. So Tarkin's back it's, in there, somewhere. yeah, exactly. <laughs> up, up the, lays up <laughs> their welding,
3: you know, in <laughs> thing. No, um, but they, uh, so and even there, it's not that the details of my work or the work of my animation crew or whatever, uh, has changed in an important way, it just got moved up in the schedule. Like now we have to have those digital doubles ready before shooting begins instead of way in post-production. But that said, I'm excited about possibilities. Like for instance, you could do a thing where you've got the volume, which I think people kind of have their heads wrapped around that now, but it's a big cylindrical stage and the walls are, I don't know, 20 feet higher, whatever they are, and they're all LED panels. And even the ceiling is LED panels. And there could, there's even a final square piece that can be dropped into the gap that exists. Because there has to be gaps so you can get set pieces and props and things in and out of volume. Mm-hmm. But there's a square piece that can be brought in so it's effectively a 360 degree
4: mm-hmm.
3: jumbo jumbotron wrapped around you, right? And and we uh, real-time render environments onto those screens and the camera that's in that space is being tracked so that the renderings have the correct perspective. So that if you have, a, for instance, a path that said tech has created on the floor where it travels up and and hits the wall. If you're not looking through the camera, then the path kind of hits the wall and then appears to go off at a weird angle. But if you're looking through the camera, the path looks continuous, no matter where you put the camera up, higher, lower, whatever. So it's really cool. cool.
4: Um,
3: So, uh, uh, okay, (laughs) I almost lost my train of thought there. Um, So imagine you've got (laughs) actors on that and and an environment and right next door, maybe you have a traditional motion capture stage with an actor there, and uh, you know, somebody cool like Terry Notary, who's, who's done a lot of, for instance, ape related motion study stuff for the apes films. And, uh, and he worked with us on Warcraft on our orcs and he trained all the actors to move like orcs and all this is, he's, he's brilliant. So say so you got Terry on this adjacent stage and his motion capture is being fed live and retargeted live onto some 15-foot-tall creature that's being rendered in real time for the actors to see on the stage. It's insane. So they look up wow. and they see this big creature walking around. So their eye lines are correct, and they're really reacting to it, moving around them. Um, and maybe Terry, I don't know, maybe he's got goggles or something, so he can kind of see where the actors are in VR, you know, so he, he's, he's moving in an arc. Yeah, I mean, it's but unbelievable. Yeah. That kind of stuff really has me excited, um, and that's <sighs> down the road a little bit and when you know to date, there's no specific project that i'm involved with that's doing that but that's that's the kind of thing that will change my job a bit um when we start doing that
2: do you think james cameron is just gonna <laughs> drop a bomb on us oh yeah
3: i can't wait to see i mean you know that guy he's he can't help himself he's gotta always push <clears> and <throat> ask for things that are amazing so i i can't wait to see what he does with and when is they're incredible uh, you know they just do amazing work. What a what a digital and what a workshop. Mm-hmm. What so I'm great. excited for the next round of. The, I hope. You know. Uh, uh, Avatar. Avatar movie. Yeah. You see, it's, so so it's, been so, it's
0: I, Hal, it's been so long. It's okay. to <laughs> yeah. uh, Forget yeah. the name of it. Um, I mean, I'm uh, am hopefully...
3: a Cameron fan generally. I mean, I. Just, oh yeah. Just, you know. The T2 amazing. is
0: un- is still to this day unbelievable. I haven't got.
1: I just love his story of how he went and saw Star Wars and was like, you know what? I want to be a director. <laughs> and he was a truck driver at the time and then went to the library and picked up like how to be a director books. And then now he's James Cameron. I just That's love that story. Awesome.
0: Did he write a letter though?
1: Yeah. Did wrote- he write a letter?
2: Yeah.
3: Where's
0: his letter?
2: He
1: didn't. He didn't. Letter? <laughs> he
2: didn't he didn't <laughs> Who wrote the book, that how to be a director that James Cameron picked
3: up and read? I don't know. <laughs> But he's um, yeah he's somebody I'd love to great. I'd love to work on one of his pictures someday but uh, hasn't happened yet.
0: I want to I want to ask you about I
2: know you watch yeah, the podcast. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the,
3: the
0: the Jabba's Palace thing that kind of like caught everybody by surprise uh, uh-huh. after like the big surprise. It's like you know seeing the Rolling Stones and then the Beatles walk on stage or something. It's just like. <laughs> uh seeing Jabba's palace again and hearing Carrie Beck talk about it in the gallery about how they wanted to and you and everybody obviously wanted to make sure you got it right with the blueprints for the original blueprints from the archives all down to the chandeliers and the wind chimes and uh you redo the digital assets for the exterior whatever you guys do you uh, hopefully you can get into a little bit on that um is that something now where it's like all right we have Jabba's palace we can save that and now we can bring back Jabba's Palace today if we need it. Uh, is that how that works? Where it's like we brought back Jabba's Palace from 1982 production to 2021. Is that is that sort of how that works? Or is it just kind of like it's isolated for that and that's it?
3: I think it depends. And, and, and I say this as someone who's not intricately involved in set building, set budgeting, um, what happens to sets after... I, it's largely a world I'm not that um, familiar with. Uh, I would hope that given that they had a title that said, you know, the book of Boba Fett coming t- 2022 or, or whatever, or 2021, right. um, that they did save that set and it's in storage somewhere and they'll trot it back out and set it up and use it. But I honestly, I don't know.
1: Well, you know what John Favreau says? He'd make stuff to make models. So maybe that model he wanted so they just made it so that he could yeah. have it's at his house now on his house. that was
3: definitely with the razor crest that was always a joke with us was like you know because mm-hmm. you know we got to season two
1: guillermo del toro said i think he's the one that's like if you want something cool make people make models and then you get to keep oh, yeah. the model i think is what he told john no, he,
3: he's he was so when uh john Nolan and i that uh, when we worked together on uh pacific rim with guillermo that was you know, mm-hmm. Guillermo was very upfront about that because he had spectral motion duties, <laughs> Amazing maquettes of every Jaeger and every uh, kaiju. And, you know, when I say every Jaeger, like here's Stryker uh, in like knee deep in this like acrylic ocean wave that's breaking and all the little lights oh, on it
1: beautiful. can be
3: turned on. And, you know, it's not. it wasn't just some like, here's a rough maquette. It was like, you know, sideshow studio quality whatever it was just, i think spectral motion built those but just saying like and and he was very upfront about it. he's like yeah these are all going in bleak house when
2: when this is done and, you know <laughs> i was gonna say i picture
1: him and <laughs> driving away from set that day with it strapped yeah. in, in the front seat with the seat belt over it yeah, just with like the seat oh
2: belt, exactly and so john
1: <laughs> time to go you know, and we
3: get you know we had some of those in the at back. ILM <laughs> while we were building our digital versions but of course you know we had to keep mm-hmm. very, very good care of him <laughs> right. because we knew that Guillermo was going to want to put him in his house when he was done. Man, and that's and funny. And he did, but John and so John and Joe always joke about that. But it was only half joke because half certainly half true about the Razor Crest that you know. Although he, yes. I think it's still at ILM <laughs> at this point. Although there's not much point in us holding yeah. on to it now.
0: <laughs> I think it's about gone. time to send it
3: to him and got yeah. it in his house. Um, Rest in peace, Razor Crest. I mean, that was a tricky thing on season two is... <laughs> Razor Because on dust. season one, we, did, we didn't do all the shots with the model. You know, for instance, when it takes off and lands, that's digital because we didn't mm-hmm. engineer a model with working landing gear and all that kind of stuff. Plus, it's just tricky. There's a lot of, you know, crazy axes of movement. So it was more for flybys in space or approaches to planets or mm-hmm. leaving planets that we targeted for our miniature shoot. Um, so then when we came to season two, we're, we were kind of thinking, yeah, we're in the same mode. But then you start reading the scripts or seeing the previous, and in the first, you know, four episodes, every other episode, the ship's getting trashed, you know. You
1: or he's got a dogfight yeah. in this episode, he's flying up, reversing, yeah. and you're like, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: So we knew stuff like that, like in-atmosphere stuff, we, we're like, yeah, or like the cloud chase with the uh, X-wings,
1: we're mm-hmm. like,
3: yeah, that won't be the miniature, that's that, that's just not suited to it which was Uh, awesome by the way yeah but then it gets all messed up on the ice planet and so the the end of episode two and the beginning of episode three we couldn't do any of those shots like it leaving the ice planet and heading toward trask in in the beginning of episode three we couldn't do those because we didn't want to trash the miniature miniature didn't have all that damage and we didn't want to trash it Mm -hmm. so we had to do those shots digitally and then and then it's hot re-entry into the into trash because we weren't going to do that with the miniature anyways. Um, but, but then even once the, the Mont Calamari repair it, it's still too messed up. It's all cargo net. It's all, yeah, it's, net. all net and <laughs> it's all string ropes. and cardboard. And, you know, I don't know. And, uh, so funny. <laughs> but then he gets it fixed up. And so then we got to do just a quick handful of shots. Uh, I forget if we had any leaving Navarro, but we definitely had it heading to Typhon um and uh you know so there's a couple shots out in space there and then oh no sorry um not tython yet um dave feloni's episode the the Mm
0: -hmm. the... oh where ahsoka is
3: ahsoka Um... is yeah Uh, Mm i can't take the planet um but so coming toward that planet some of those are miniature shots and then also leaving and and heading to tython are, are miniature shots so we only have a few miniature shots of the of the Razorcrest in season two, but Corvus. we got to do a whole other shot. Yeah, Corvus, thanks. We got to do a whole other shot uh, or a ship um, with Moff Gideon's light, light cruiser, which was a five foot model. Razor crest was a two foot model, oh, cool. but the light cruiser was a five foot model built by, again, by John Goodson, who built the Razorcrest. And man, that thing is just so gorgeous. <laughs> it's such a beautiful <laughs> model. Um,
1: I wonder what John thought after the episode where it explodes. He's at home and he's like, "Oh."
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately, the the real you know the, the, we didn't blow up the actual miniature. Although that would have been fun. Yeah. Right? if we had, we would have had to make a a shell, you know, a, like a, a, a replica yeah. to blow up. <laughs> but um, but no, that was super fun. Um, the the whole thing of digging into and it, again, it wasn't. We certainly could have gotten. We in fact, we had some final shots of the Razor Crest in season one in CG, just regular flybys and stuff, before we ever decided to embark on building a miniature. Um, but it kind of evolved out of, we we're having a little trouble with getting quite this sweet spot on the um, finish of the ship, because it's not as polished mm-hmm. as Padme's, and it's not a matte paint job like the Falcon, right? Or the X-Wings or anything right mm-hmm. Somewhere in between. And, you know, John said, well, what if we, just three D printed a little one and and kind of covered it, you know, painted it, did a paint job on it that is kind of what we think it should be, and then photographed it uh, to give us more information. Thought, all right, yeah, that's worth doing, and then that evolved into all right, let's make a a little bit bigger proper model out of it. And then when we were doing that, Here's then it the was like, ball. you know, we could shoot this, you know. Let's make a wait. Well, hey, why don't we shoot this <laughs> <Yeah>. thing? So <laughs> then John Knoll, being John Knoll, went off and built his own motion control camera system, wrote his own software for it. <laughs> guy's brilliant.
0: Um, I'm no, big, no deal. big deal.
3: Oh my yeah. goodness! And um, I,
1: but, I have a funny picture of him from like the '90s, where he's just like this, and I was like, I wonder if like that's how he just is all the time. Like, I'm just gonna go write a program.
2: Yeah, that guy's like Sir Isaac Newton inventing calculus just yeah, to solve a problem. He, on yeah. <laughs> uh, John and I worked on tons of projects together. We're good.
3: We're good friends. He, on um, Rogue One, you know, he he thought up the story. For Rogue one pitched to kathy yes. got it green yep. um he's he, as he i think he has an executive producer credit but he's you know the visual effects supervisor it's a big job so he's over in the uk as they're getting they're ramping into shooting he's living over there for the duration of the shoot and he starts just cranking out these tests in the evenings because you know he didn't have enough other things to do <laughs> and there are things like like he did a complete cg build of the um landing bay on the Death Star, you know, the one that the, the Falcon comes in, his, his yeah, yes. with the tractor beam, because he thought, you know, we might need it. So he just built it all in um, Modo and textured it and did a and and rendered out a walkthrough. And I mean, it looks completely 100% real. And he has sound. Oh, effects. my God. And he's got a little mouse droid moving through and you hear it make a <laughs> cool sound and everything. And then, and then the next thing you know, he's showing me one that he did of the conference room of the death star you know the big where vader force chokes the guy and that that thing with that sort of spheroid thing in the middle of the desk again it just looks 100 percent real he's like yeah current in the current script we don't have any scenes in here but we might and maybe we can just do it as a virtual set (laughs) if we do we've got it and then he did the same thing for the corridor in the tantive um that white corridor and in the end they end up building Mm -hmm. that set physically um but he was like (laughs) We could do it digitally. I've got it right here. Look. Right <laughs> here. And it just looked, and all three of them just look 100 percent <laughs> just down to the last detail. You would not know. Oh like if you just saw God. those, you'd be like, Oh, this is cool. What's what movie is this from? You know? And uh, you know, he's just knocking them out in his spare time, you know, just because you, you know, as you do, right? When you're <laughs> That's There's that
1: meme that's like, you know, people pass around that's like, oh, Beyonce is the same hours of the day as you. And I'm like, no, John Noel has the same hours <laughs> in the day as me. Yeah. <laughs> that's my yeah. no, I Oh, that's so I- funny. I'm
2: a, I'm a Star Wars fan, but I'm a big Rogue One fan. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, that all that stuff, like, is super fascinating. In I, terms love of, yeah, you, I love you, that film.
0: So, recently, I'm sure anytime you tweet things... Uh, <laughs> especially you know you
1: make me go crazy first of all (laughs) i will personally say i'll be like hell
0: (laughs) well yeah the hype with the the roller coasters and and all that stuff you definitely got a lot of us. (laughs) that was fun Uh, i'm sure like when you send those are you like
3: (laughs) oh yeah especially the the roller coaster thing i was
0: like (laughs) you're like (laughs) guys check this out look at these comments (laughs) and of course i have
3: to you know i've always got to think a little bit about uh, all right, what am I actually saying? And, yeah, and it's not,
1: right. you know, yeah. Disney and
3: Lucasfilm don't ride me. I don't get calls from them regularly saying, you know, hey, you shouldn't, but I just, you know, I'm just trying to be a good, you know, mm-hmm. employee sure. and like think of the The one well, finish your thought. And then we're going to Well, I was going to say off.
0: recently you were posting the fla- uh walk down memory lane of of some Rogue One stuff that didn't make it in the movie and fans kind of uh went a little wild about it like the Vader and Tarkin thing. <laughs> um were was this just a thing where you're like, "Oh man, I remember that. Let me just tweet that because people will enjoy seeing it because people always take it and they're like, this must mean something more and there must be yeah. this must be a jab at this or this. Can you just yeah. uh, bring some levity or some normalcy to you doing that and, and
3: no, what that's you're You're exactly right. In that case, I didn't have any plan. I had posted, <laughs> uh, previous to that, you know, like weeks ago or maybe longer, somewhere along the line, I had posted some, you know, just some snapshots from the set of Rogue One, particularly because the Avon set was so spectacular. I mean, it's just fun to post mm-hmm. a picture or two of, you know, look how cool the set oh, is. Oh, yeah. Um, and then yeah. that day I had posted, like, I forget, some, uh, oh, an X-Wing, I think. And then someone asked me about, oh, do you have any astromech pics? And I was like, oh, actually, yeah, you know, and I found that picture of Chopper and um, R2. Boom. But people dug that.
1: Matt Martin was like, where And I, I knew that
3: would, <laughs> I knew people would dig that because most people knew he was in the film, a few people didn't, and just, mm-hmm. people just loved him, you know, they just love that character. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: And then somebody else in the the mentions of one of the threads that was spawning asked about Vader. And I was like, oh yeah, I got got a photo of Vader that I like. And the thing is, I knew that that scene had been, there were short little clips of it in a couple of the trailers. So I knew I wasn't revealing (laughs) something that nobody had ever seen before. Right. I mean, but then of course I had to open my big mouth and say, (laughs) uh, yeah, I think it was a conversation between Tarkin and Vader. Because I guess that was just something a lot of people weren't aware of that there had ever been a scene like that considered. To me, it didn't seem like a big. If, no. I should have thought mm-hmm. about it a little bit. Because if I had just hadn't said that, eh, people would have liked it. But I think that was a <laughs> thing where people were like, "Oh my God, there was a scene and time. And then you get yeah. into this whole thing with people like, "When can we see the Gareth Edwards?" Because like,
0: oh you know, man, it's like
3: I can't even. Oh, I'm not even. No. Oh no. I can't respond to that.
0: That's wild. It is, and it's you know, why wouldn't? <laughs> Vader and Tarkin were attached to the hip in a new hope which is 15 minutes after rogue one. If he's not if he's on the Death Star, why wouldn't he be talking yeah. to Tarkin? So so like you alluded to like this seems pretty obvious to me. Uh yeah. you know, but people like to run with it and you know, there was trailers where you see Krennic talking to Vader and uh, you see that shot of Vader with the red screen behind him right after the title pops up in the teaser so I I mean all that stuff has come up one tweet I need to read to you (laughs) I have to do this I'm sorry our our fans want it so
1: (laughs) (laughs) all night I've been waiting for John to see how he's gonna work with this and it's been very exciting to see how it's it's not a
0: deleted tweet it's there so here we go so this person tweeted trope Colon, quote, I don't know who needs to hear this, end quote, but Solo is really good and needs a sequel. And uh, that is from... I did write
3: that. I did write (laughs) that. That's from at
0: Hal Hickel, November 15th, 2020. So as you can see the shirt I'm wearing, Hal. Yeah.
3: Make Solo 2
0: happen. Rob Bredow has used the hashtag... Uh Jonas Sotomos used it. A lot of people. Michelle Regwan told James that uh, she loves it. John Kasdan, Ron Howard, everyone's talking about it. What? What's what's the deal? How do we get Kathleen on the horn? How do we get a solo two made? How do we go, get a right. series I got, made? I
3: got a number here. Let me get my no, Wait a okay, look,
0: You got Jabba's <laughs> Palace back. Like, what are your thoughts on Solo? And like, obviously, uh, continuing that with Jabba's Palace would make sense. Like Disney Plus. Do you, do you ever think it could happen?
3: I don't know. I I really don't. I'm not trying to be cagey or anything. I didn't work on solo. Well, I did work on solo a little bit. I I supervised the train heist, the animation train heist. Um, Unbelievable. But but Paul Cavanaugh, who's amazing (laughs) anim soup was the main anim soup on that. So I kind of came in and helped out a little chunk of it, but I wasn't like rogue, you know, I, John pitched me the idea for the story before it even got greenlit. So I felt like I was there from the beginning, even though there's lots of chapters to the rogue saga that, I wasn't privy to. Like I didn't spend a bunch of time mm-hmm. with Gary Widow when he was at Lucasfilm writing it because that's just not my job. And I was probably right. finishing another project when that was happening anyways. Um, but you know, I, I was there for the journey and the whole, most of the journey and, and a lot of the twists and turns and all that. Solo, I barely, you know, I, got, I worked on one sequence and I, you know, when Paul was the main guy um, but I just liked the film. I it, I posted that because I had rewatched it for the first time in quite a while. i just finished watching it. And I was like, God, I really liked it. And I, so I just, you know, and the only reason I put <laughs> trope at the beginning is just because the, I don't know who needs to hear this is, uh, um, maybe yeah. meme would have been a better <laughs> yeah. word than trope. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's no, a thing. Sure. It's a thing that sure. you can lead off with in tweets. It's a no, Of course. That's of course. Twitterism. Yeah, but yeah. the, um, but yeah, I wa- had rewatched it and I was like, God, that was great. I'd love to see these characters keep going and i like alden aaron i think he was great and i know oh, there was yeah. some aaron right i know i i think you know and there's some folks who were like why didn't they cast this guy that that's fine that's all valid but i happen to like him um i loved l3 as a character i know she doesn't make it through the whole film least not in one piece or may
4: or actually
2: in <laughs> in, in only one piece i guess yeah whatever but yeah. um she, she's gone the way of the razor crest yes, exactly <laughs> only one little <laughs> <That's> bit <right. laughs>
3: <It's arrived>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um but i just i think, and i love i love
3: uh um lando uh, um help me out here donald glover donald donald Glover, glover. and i love that guy i love atlanta i just i you know oh yeah yeah he's, he's childish game you i like community does. yeah yeah and so yeah I'm i'm there for it i just don't have any special unfortunately i don't have any special insight like well your friend you know your listeners should stay tuned because uh you know it's like i have no clue uh, partly because honestly um mandalorian has just completely taken over my whole life the game, for the yeah. last mm-hmm. couple of years sure. there's such sure i mean big um big uh summer temp p- temple films typically have Around 2,000 visual effects shots for a really big visual effects thing. Now, for really big, some of those shows might get up closer to 3,000, like a, like you know the final um, Avengers, you know Endgame or something. I don't know how what the shot count there was, but I'm sure it was well over 2,000 shots. Oh
2: man, shots. yeah.
4: But
3: mm-hmm. Mandalorian season one, which we completed in roughly the same amount of time we would a, a big effects film, actually less time than some big effects film, had uh, just under 4,000 visual effects shots. Unbelievable. And season two, just under five thousand. So my whole my what? whole life has been <laughs> complete like I don't have time for oh my goodness. uh anything
0: else, sadly, these days. But, no um... more. So <laughs> no more of no more of your tweets. What I'll talk about is there was a, a tweet that was going around that people like to respond to, and it was name a moment in television that changed the way you view television. And this was before we had you booked. So I'm not here to to, to give you know fan service you or praise you here. I quote tweeted it and said, when I saw the crate Dragon on Chapter 9 of The Mandalorian. And I really mean that because I was a big Game of Thrones fan. And I compared seeing the crate Dragon to the dragons from Game of Thrones that I thought were unbelievable. And I feel like that show changed television no matter how people feel how it ended or anything like that. Seeing what you guys did with the crate Dragon it felt like a major motion picture even with the aspect ratio changes and all that stuff but uh, and and then seeing you talk about it and how you made the the full belly of the beast even though it's never going to be seen on the surface (laughs) can you just just please just uh feed the nerd in all of us and and dive a little deeper than maybe things you may have said in the gallery in terms of what that was like making it, what it what it feel like, seeing the reaction to it, the ach- feeling of achievement, all of that. Can you touch on that that whole thing? Because really, it launched season two, and it, it it took Mandalorian to another level that I didn't think it would reach. So, can you just please for for our audience, sure. uh, let us know what the deal is with that?
3: Well, it was super fun. Um, it was hard, but it was super fun because number one, John directed. Favreau directed that episode, which he didn't. He was a showrunner, but he didn't direct any of the season one episodes. So, this was his first time taking the reins on one of the episodes. So that was great fun. Um, and I love giant monsters. I've been a giant monster fan since I was a little kid, um, starting with King Kong, then the Godzilla movies, and actually all the Japanese uh, kaiju, Gamera, all of it. Um, and then Pacific Rim, et cetera, yada, yada. So I like big creatures. I like the challenges that those present. Um, I'd never gotten to do what dragonly think. No, never gotten to do a dragon before. Um, and this was, a, you know, it was fun to take, John does this great thing where he takes a sort of obscure little details from the original films, like an Uggnot, right? He'll take an Ugnot and then make it a main character or uh, <laughs> IG-88, he creates sure. a new IG droid, but, and makes it, puts it front and center rather than just this thing you saw in one scene briefly. <laughs> He loves doing that. And so the crate dragon, of course, we, you know, we only saw the skeleton and the dunes and now let's figure out what this thing is. What's its life cycle? What does it do? How does it, oh, and so that's, that's all just, you know, super fun. Um, oh. uh, you started this off though, talking about the dragons in uh, Game of Thrones, but did you know that our visual effects supervisor on the first four episodes of season two is Joe Bauer. Joe Bauer was the, overall visual effects soup on I think the last six or seven seasons of Game of Thrones he wasn't there very beginning but for pretty much all the important dragon work he was the visual effects supervisor so
0: was that a lot of carryover in terms of how it was created or
3: uh... I mean he I, he had also worked with John on um, that movie that John Favreau made with Sony that was a kind of a follow-up to uh jumanji but it was space zathura oh so joe, or no yeah. i'm sorry well yeah maybe zathura but actually i think also joe might have also joe worked with with john on um elf so they definitely worked together but i thought oh, i thought zathura cool. as well i could swear i don't know, I have to look it up but anyway so they had a relationship going way back but as well i think knowing we were going to be doing a big dragon that might have factored into on kind of pulling joe into hey dragon guy you want to do, yeah, do you dragon? have a do you have a dragon <laughs> guy exactly um so, who's your dragon and joe guy? is great and so we worked together all through uh, actually all the first four episodes oh um, that's awesome but the dragon so yeah we built because doug Chang had done his art department had done these awesome renderings of the whole thing you know head to tail with like 27 legs or how many legs it has it's like a centipede dragon it has a tons of legs mm. and all these great mm. renderings of it like perched on rocks and looking very dragony. and John's instinct right away was let's keep it more like Jaws where you just see it kind of cruising through <sighs> the sand and I kind of dug that because there's an old um, Outer Limits I uh, guess none of you probably know that Outer, Outer Limits but it was a show that was uh, around the same time as the original um, Twilight Zone with similar kinds of odd mm-hmm. stories and there was an episode where these two astronauts land on what looks like this sort of sandy planet but then there's this creature that surfaces and moves through the sand like it's in a pond and I found that really creepy as a kid and so that, I had that in the back of my like, yeah that'll be great that'll be great oh man and so we also you know there were all these conversations about okay so it must have some kind of internal organ that produces a vibration that will liquefy the sand so that it can swim through it um and we never you know do you oh, know... go ahead
2: can yeah. i re- jump in do you know who mark rober is on youtube um he's he does science experiments and stuff okay. and he created he did a a, a video of a giant sand like structure oh, with the air and they... then he was putting vibrations oh, vibration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Air, air and stuff to liquefy yeah. it so that things were moving through the thing. And I remember when they were discussing that on gallery, I was like, I wonder if they saw that video or referenced in that video when they were thinking, How does this thing move through the sand? Well, if you can put out the right type of energy, yeah. then you can swim through sand like like it's water and stuff. And I, I it immediately took me back to his own scientific. Yeah, I may
3: well have um uh, seeing his video at that time because we researched all that stuff we looked at stuff where it was sound waves
2: mm-hmm. and
3: then uh, the other thing where they're just blasting air up through sand and there's a great one where it's like a sort of a hot tub sized thing full of sand and when they blast it mm-hmm. with the air from
2: below you yep. can climb right That's in stuff, it yeah. like a hot tub but if they turn it off and <laughs> then, then the second you turn crazy. it off it, you're it, locked it. into the sand well, I, so oh, yes i have so I have, cool scenes. yeah so we oh, talked man. about all that yeah.
3: stuff Cause we thought at one time we might actually do some gags like that with um, actors, right? Where you, you know, after the thing is passed or as it's passing, maybe you cut to
4: stuck, one of the yeah. extras
3: in the little town, for instance, the first time we see it. And we see somebody like sinking down into it or stuck in solid sand afterwards being pulled at Grogu
1: out. stuck feet yeah, exactly, up. <laughs> exactly, um,
3: and then that stuff just never ended up making it all the way into John became less interested, or I forget what, uh, in that particular, right. telling that particular story. He wanted to stay focused on the dragon, I think, or uh, who knows, I can't remember, but we definitely
1: more scary, talked about yeah. all
3: that stuff and looked at all those videos and everything, which was really fun. And then our, um, we've got ILM has five studios. So we have San Francisco, Vancouver, Singapore, London, and now Sydney. Um, but our Singapore studio did a lion's share of the work on episode one, in terms of the dragon and the Banffas, and all that stuff. And so um, Skyzani Muhammad, who was our anim soup, and Jeff Kepper Greco, who was our VFX soup in, in Singapore, they just knocked it out of the park. Like the, the dragon animation, but then also all of the sand simulation. Because water simulation is hard, generally. But now you're doing something that isn't quite water. It's got to kind of move like water, but it's sand. <laughs> yeah. As it gets a little far right. away from the dragon. It needs to go back to being solid and everything. So there was all that to work out. But it's super fun. Wow. Like just having the That's thing come easy. up.
2: Did that make it harder or easier to hide mistakes? Oh, so harder. It was all hard. I
3: mean, it was out <laughs> it was out in broad daylight. All that sand interaction um plus all the people firing crap at it the whole time and, yeah. and explosions <laughs> and smoke that it's got to interact with and everything else. So it it's tough. just it really it's tough insane. work. And I'll tell now, you it, there hasn't been any nobody has ever said to any of us on this whole journey of doing Mandalorian Oh, by the way, this is TV, so you guys can all dial it down a little bit. Like nobody ever uh, says right.
4: that.
0: <laughs> I'm so. good good. Good. I'm glad. No, no offense to how hard you have to work good. for it. But um that that kind of takes me to um one of my last main questions, at least from from myself here. <laughs> So obviously, George Lucas was always a perfectionist. He even um, J.W. Rensler had pointed out that it was from his book that I have over there, "Making of Empire Strikes Back." That George even added uh, some stuff to Empire after it initially was released at the very end and stuff. And he, you know, always wanted yeah. to update his original trilogy. Um, I watched the Phantom Menace the other day. Love the movie. It has aged really well as a movie. Some of the stuff does look like it was made in 1999 because it was. Oh, yeah. Do you as sure. a person in your industry like look at toy story one compared to toy story four or episode one to what you could do now with the mandalorian and say you know it would be cool if we could run through that make a special edition of the prequel trilogy if george signed off that it was okay or do you like saying look at what we were able to achieve in 1999 and freeze that in time and say we put in a stamp on what we did then how do you feel about that as a as a creator in your field
3: I'd rather leave it alone. I, and it's not a, that's not a knock on jerk doing the special editions or anything. I, I totally no, understand no. his motivation, particularly at that time period where Jurassic Park had just happened. And he felt like, ah, oh, now I can get in and tweak some things that I could never tweak. But just me personally, I'm, I'm not super interested in revisiting stuff I've worked on. And, and even if I'm not involved, um, I kind of just, I like the charming just history of it. Like, okay, that's what it was at the time,
4: and and I'm fine
3: with it. It's funny because we were. uh, I think this was between. Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, and I worked on Phantom Menace and I worked on Attack of the Clones, I didn't end up working on Sith because I was on the first Pirates film, but. um, uh, George was still tinkering, you know, he was doing some uh, stuff and he and I said to Rob Coleman, who was the animation director on the prequels, I said, Rob, you know what, if we're going to get in there and modify stuff, uh, since he's now put the, since George has put the Java scene back into New Hope, we have a way better CG Java asset that we had made for the pod race in Phantom Menace. Mm -hmm. But that, that job is way better than the one that we did just a few years earlier for Uh, Special editions. The special editions were wrapping up just as I came to ILM. I didn't work on them, but and Mm -hmm. so he, Rob, went to George and proposed it, and George gave him the go ahead. He's like, okay, smart guy.
2: That's cool. Uh,
3: He wants to do it. So let's do it. (laughs) So we did it. Um, And even that, now that I look at that, there's things in it I'd like to improve. There's some shots that Mm -hmm. I personally animated that. I feel like a little spliny because it was, it's only a handful of shots. It was me and another animator, this guy, Sean Kern, one of my best friends. I ended up animating the handful of shots, but I, um, <laughs> I, I was a little too, I never liked the gag where hand steps on Java's tail and he's was a big reaction and I don't know if you remember how it looked <laughs> in the special edition version, but it was a really big reaction. His eyes really bugged out. Yeah, it's like those toys
0: you squeeze and the eyes yes, pop out. Yeah.
3: And I never, I was like, huh, you know, makes Jabba look like, you know, I don't know. So it makes him look weak. So I actually did an animation test where I had um, hands passes behind him. Because, you know, the problem was always that he, Jabba's got this big tail, right? And in the choreography that right. they did when they just had an actor playing Jabba, he just crossed behind him. Um, so they had to solve that and they, what they came up with was to have him step on the stand so i came up with a version where it was as if java was kind of turning as well so you could Im- sort of imagine his tail in a curve that hand could miss and go behind him and oh. it was still the same choreography and i was so clever i thought oh you know look at this i've made this it scene is. better and i <laughs> and at that time um because rob uh, uh on Phantom Menace, I was an animator, uh, and and then Rob had bumped me up to lead animator. And then between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, I got my first shot at being an animation supervisor on um, AI, this Steven Spielberg film. So after that was done, Rob brought me back onto Attack of the Clones as a supervisor to handle some scenes for him to help him with the the workload. And so when that was all done, and we were doing this between episodes two and three, and we were doing this test, um well, well on attack of the clones one of the great things that rob did for me was when i would show my sequences instead of handing them to rob to present to george rob was like no 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 you're going to you'll sit down with george and you'll present your sequences which i'll always be grateful wow, for because cool. you know he gave me an opportunity to work directly with george um which you know, i'll always treasure mm-hmm. right wow. in this case with this test this was really just something like Sean and I we did our animation takes we got a rough version of the sequence together we gave it to Rob and Rob showed it to George. and I'm I'm in the back of the theater just you know listening in here's con- the note what the notes are and, and George it was the only time I ever saw him get a little bit mad at somebody and you know nobody could be mad at Rob because Rob is just the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet but he was sort of gently mad at he's like what happened to the tail thing that was, that was my favorite part of this whole scene. Rob, I didn't even want to change the scene. You talked me into it. What do you, Now you're taking up my favorite thing. And I was in the back just going, oh, oh my, my God. God. Oh, no. So <laughs> so I love so it. After I the cop with Rob, I'm like, geez, dude, I'm so sorry. He's like, oh, it's fine. He goes, just, you know, put the tail gag back in. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> the God. God. So now, I've, I, now the, the only change I got away with was, uh, Jabba just kind of looks a bit grumpy now as, as Han mm-hmm. steps over his tail instead of like a big, like, Wah! he just kind right. of like, yeah. kind of, um, right. so I got away with that change. And I do think <laughs> the asset that we the model that we had, uh, did look a lot better. And, but again, you know, now that's 20 years ago. So now when I look at it, I think, well, it could be better still, but I don't, I personally don't want to, let's go back in. I hand appreciate and that. I like, yeah. 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 You know, we did it it's fine you look
1: back on your letter it says underneath his signature p.s don't touch job <laughs> yeah
4: exactly <laughs> right <laughs> don't.
1: i know what you
4: did <laughs> I,
3: I always loved working with george he was great he when we were doing like i remember on phantom menace when we were getting into the pod race and you know some new character that we hadn't had a chance to animate yet would come out of rigging and be ready to animate and, and rob would ask george for some guidance you know well you know who is this character what's he all about And it could have been like, you know, Rax Terrell or uh, Ben Quadraneros or, you know, one of the pod racers. And George just immediately spin into a backstory, whether it was and I never could tell if it was he'd actually written it out and thought about it ahead of time or if he was just making it up on the spot. It didn't matter. He was so invested in it because, you know, here's the thing, especially once the prequel started to come out, you would you would hear people criticize him sometimes and say things like, you know, oh, He's, just, you know, for years now, he's just been into this for the marketing and the money. He doesn't, you know, he's not, or this or that. You know, you would hear that now and again. If you worked mm-hmm. with a guy for five minutes on any of those films, you'd know that he just loved that universe. And he could just, he's like, well, this guy.
1: Lived and breathed this it. This guy yeah.
3: considers himself sort of a space pirate, but he isn't really. He's, he's a faker. He's kind of a dilettante. And his machine doesn't work very well because he you know he lost a lot of money gambling and he hasn't been able to spend you know he would just like immediately have all this like stuff about the character we'd be like oh that's fantastic i wonder if these are
0: people he like uh there's this guy in high school i didn't know i'm gonna make him Subulba. like you know
3: just like (laughs) it could be it could be because you know certainly for a lot of names he um you know he you could tell where he borrowed things from like there's a um you know the local Indians in in our Sleeze neck of the woods here are the are the um, Miwok, and you know I think that's where he got Ewok from. And there's all kinds of things like that. If you just live in this area, that you just notice signages and towns and things, and think, oh, yeah, okay, I, oh, get, I can yeah. see where he grabbed that from. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to find out that you know there are characters that are based on.
0: We named he the dog or... Indiana. Right? Yeah, exactly. So.
3: That's exactly yeah. right yeah
0: exactly. uh which is you know a venture you guys are probably going to be involved with is uh the new indiana jones which uh kathleen Kennedy's filming uh yeah. this spring so are you excited to revisit indie did you you obviously i assume you worked on indie no
3: nope, i haven't worked on oh, it yet okay. no i was okay. I not don't, i don't know what i was busy on when they were doing four um maybe pacific grim i forget those I was, I was other projects um so i haven't had a chance to work on one I don't know if I'll have any. Probably not. Just looking ahead at what I can see on my horizon, I probably won't be involved with it. But I know will be working on it. And I'll be excited about it. And to be honest, um, Jim Mangold is amazing. Like I think that guy's a phenomenal filmmaker. So I think, yeah. I think of all the people I could think of that they like when I heard that announcement, I was like, "Holy shit, that's perfect!" Because if you look at <laughs> if you look at what he did with Logan, I you know. Before that movie came out, would you have ever imagined a Marvel superhero movie like that? I, I, Zero I, chance. I, I was like, "What?" And then I, you know, this last year, um, Ford versus Ferrari. Man, I love that film. I thought it was yes. just terrific.
0: I just saw but, that finally last month. Yeah,
3: yeah. So I'm really excited, really excited yeah. about that that film. Um, but I probably won't won't have anything to do with it. I'll, I'll try and keep an eye on it while it's happening. You think There's you think so, Ford still has it in him? Oh sure. I think so. I actually I just Do you think he can beat Ferrari? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I just watched um Call of the Wild and I really enjoyed it actually. I'd seen some, you know, different commentary on it when it came out. It wasn't uh nothing horrible, but you know what I mean. Like, you know, people were like here and there about it. But I saw it, and I, it really tickled me. I kinda liked it. It reminded me of kind of family adventure films of a bygone era that don't don't get made that much anymore and um yeah i kind of dug it i mean i i i would have maybe made the dog a little less um anthropomorphic in its acting but that's just a choice i enjoyed mm-hmm. the animation very much mm-hmm. very much mm-hmm. but you know it was me i i might have settled in for something that was just a little closer to it's just a dog but it's got a lot of personality rather than a dog that could that really acts and does things but and i but but you know what that might have been the wrong call for kids like maybe kids would be not that it was only for kids like i said i think i can't kind of think of it as a family film but it may be that that sweet spot they hit is exactly right for kids because my kids too old for me to know what uh what little ones but i really enjoyed it i just i dug it and i was looking at i was actually thinking about it when i saw the film i thought oh yeah he's got i think he's got absolutely another
0: i I hope so I, i can't wait to check that out
1: Look, the way he punched people out in The Force Awakens, <laughs> I was like, he, yeah. he
0: could
1: still and do And you it. get those
0: indie sound effects, those indie punch sound
3: effects.
1: Yeah, there. I and love that, it. Yeah, yeah. There, I there are
3: some it. films I try to um, uh, stay away from. Because we, we have a lot of security procedures at work, this, that, and the other. But supervisors <laughs> are generally encouraged to look at other shows, to share knowledge, and give opinions and that. Sometimes it's formalized where mm-hmm. we'll all get together as a group and look at some work from a recent show. Sometimes you just sort of snoop around in other shows and kind of look at what they're doing. But I remember when <laughs> Force Awakens was happening, I was like, "I'm not going to look at anything. I don't want to see anything. I going to. I get to be a fan because I wasn't working on it at all in any capacity."
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: then finally, mm-hmm. like way toward the end, I got. I had a moment of weakness, and I, <laughs> I went poking around in looking in um, uh, some of the sequences that that you could sort of access. There were certain folders
1: things. and drives. And inside, I was yeah.
3: um and the very first thing I saw was the big moment between Ben and ben. <laughs> On the That's I guess <laughs> no point <laughs>
2: like, So I put in my two weeks and I said, and it That's was it.
3: just no. pure, chan- pure chance too. And I was just oh. like what well, the
1: my reaction just now is the reaction I had in the theater to you saying yeah. that. Yeah, no! No.
3: Oh, <laughs> Although since then, it, honestly, it may not even be possible for me to do that because we've had, um, we ILM has been very good. It's always been very secure over the years, but the industry has had mm-hmm. some, uh, hacks and leaks and different things yeah, that have just created, um, basically more and more security as the years go by. Um, so it's possible that I won't even be able to snook around on, um, you know, They're the hand, Saving you from yourself. Indie now. film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unless again it's it's in one of our sort of forums where we're kind of putting together a brain trust to look mm-hmm. at stuff, which happens sometimes. So I'll look forward to that. But but yeah, it like I was like, Oh jeez. Really? <laughs> and I just picked the sequence because the sequences just have initials. I didn't know what it was. I was like, well, I'll just pick one and right. I look at it and it's playing through. and I was like, Oh god damn it. <laughs> 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 Mm -hmm. Hal just does it to himself he's like oh god
0: yeah exactly um (laughs) so yeah I guess I do like that you made me think of another question then because like these legacy actors and like we're saying goodbye to them you know Harrison Ford via Star Wars and uh Hamill thought he was done um with Star Wars with Ep 9 and then you know you see him just uh really just seem so grateful in terms of bringing young Luke back and some fans were bit by that but you could see him like you know who doesn't want to see themselves in their prime sure and he seems so happy to see that as if it's a swang song it's a swang song i don't know if they're bringing luke back anymore i don't they're gonna like bring him back i don't know but what we saw there and his like when you see him tweet that stuff out and maybe in interviews down the line we'll see him uh does that like, what does that do to you knowing that you were a part of it and also he was also a hero of yours growing up? Like, which, like, does the kid in you meet the pro in you and how does that all come together? Oh, yeah. and how does that feel?
3: No, it's been super exciting. I mean, I, you know, I don't think we've ever heard uh, Luke say, May the Force be with you. Have we? Like, in, a, in in any of the films or whatever. Like, so hearing him say that. I don't that, think
1: so. I think of Leia, but I don't think of him and yet. Ben
3: says it and. Uh, even Hans says it. Uh, he may say like "you of, too" once or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, so getting to hear him say that line, you know, I mean, it's nothing better. Like I, yeah. I, I was flying that whole day. The day that we did the shoot was just, mm-hmm. cause, you know. I, again, I, I hope I don't ever get blasé just generally about the work, but I do really love being on set, um, which Corona has made that a lot harder. Uh, but you know we'll get back to some version of normalcy, normalcy eventually. But um, yes, I really like being yeah. on set. Generally, like you mentioned earlier, you were talking about the um, Jabba throne room. That yeah. said, I mean, mm-hmm. I was like, because I'm not there every day all through shooting. There's not, it's just mm-hmm. not a reason for that in my role. The visual effects supervisor is there. Rich uh, Richard Bluff is there, you know, every day, all day during shooting. But I'll go down frequently. When they're shooting stuff that um or for that's meetings so cool. or whatever and i just happened to be there because that scene didn't require my presence the the throne scene but it they were having to be shooting it a day that i was down at at the manhattan beach and so i of course you know i had to go i got like i gotta go check out this set. yeah <laughs> that's
4: right. you know, just amazing
3: it's, you know so certainly the stuff with mark i you know i was already excited i'm already excited to be there anyways because i just love being on set but that day I was just, I don't think my feet touched the ground at all the whole day, (laughs) particularly, you know, afterwards. It was just like, I just buzzing. So exciting. And Mark's just, you know, as everyone knows, he's the nicest guy in the world. I mean, I really didn't, I got to say hello to meet him and, you know, and be part of some group conversations with him, but I didn't, it's not like I got to sit down and have lunch with him chat with him at length or anything, but he's just so kind and, and, um, Mm. you know, hardworking and invested in what we were doing and everything you know um so yeah i'm thrilled that he's happy i'm if if he's happy i'm happy (laughs) yeah
0: i I mean we're we're all happy we all lost our minds Yeah, unbelievable yeah
1: cried stood up like the super bowl for the last (laughs) 10 minutes of that show i'm not even kidding as soon as the x-wing came in i was like and i was standing at like 3 a.m in my house like no no, they didn't, and like every hint they give, you guys gave, which was like, you know, his hand yeah. and then his hood, the belt buckle. I'm like, no, no. And I I love uh,
3: you know Peyton Reed's a, a super fun guy to work with. Um, he was great. It was mm-hmm. a really fun work. i would not not worked with him before this last season, and he did both two episodes, two and eight, and um, yeah, and you know all that's he was great with all those flipping over those cards for the audience. You know, let's keep him. You know initially they'll be black and, and he's white he's another
1: one big fan yeah yeah then, he had said on twitter how big of a fan he was and like he showed a picture of luke skywalker that he had on his bedroom when he was little and i was like <laughs> this is what i love to hear like people like you yeah. and peyton reed who are working on these things that you guys just care so much and you've cared your whole life about this that i'm like they're doing it for me <laughs> you know like as a fan they're there <laughs> too the and nerdiest, it's just so exciting to hear you
3: know and i i'll be the first to admit i mean i'm there, are you guys for instance there are loads of fans who could put me to shame in a um you know an all-around sort of star wars trivia contest for instance particularly
1: oh, particularly if we're talking about stuff matter. like outside <laughs> the
3: movies right sure. extending universe sure. books uh things like that because i my focus when i was younger was really on the movies the original trilogy mm-hmm. and still kind mm-hmm. of is in terms of my love of star wars which is why i feel super grateful to have worked on both rogue one and Mando because they're so close in the star wars timeline to the original yeah. but you know you could ask me anything about the visual effects making of the original trilogy and i could probably tell you know what i mean that's a trivia contest i can win right. um but we have you know so i you know i'm totally i love star wars so i'm a nerd about it john is Felony massive nerd for star wars. so and he you don't yeah say. and he <laughs> worked so many years with george directly you know Side by side with George on on the animated shows, that you know someone can and Doug Chang, we've got Doug is a wealth of knowledge about design and the look of Star Wars and what thing, make things what makes things feel like Star Wars. So we're always having conversations mm-hmm. about, particularly if we're designing something newish, a new town, a place we haven't seen before, um, uh, some set, a, dro- a droid, whatever it is there's tons of nerdy conversations about well have we seen this before in anybody you know oh, no man. but you know in in season one of rebels there was a blah blah blah, blah. you know Dave will say well you know we did a thing kind of like this sort whatever. and it is you know and a bunch of there are a bunch of other people in the mix that are also super star wars nerds that um you know because it's important to john to not just do whatever like he wants to honor right. people's love of this whole franchise and um he certainly wants to do new things when he can and and you know surprise people and all that but when he's when we're doing stuff that's you know especially stuff that's legacy like you know we're doing a particular x-wing or we're doing a, a droid that's got to look a certain way or whatever he's super invest. he and dave and everybody on the show are super invested in getting it right you know so that it feels like what we think people want it shows
0: to. That dichotomy between them, I feel like each one fills the nooks the other one has, and it's a good uh yin yang that they have. Because Favreau would be like, "Oh, that was a deep cut, huh?"
3: he's like, "Not really." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. They're they're the, they're like a comedy team. Those two, it's yeah, so it feels like they really are. Yeah. <laughs>
0: oh man that's amazing um i i I am out of questions we've taken a lot of your time uh james (laughs) do you have anything else uh do you want to throw hell's way
1: i do but i i'll have to save it for next time because i just feel like we've used up so much of your time i could keep going and going and going and people have things to do i'm sure (laughs) All
0: all right well um we would love to obviously have you back sometime down the line but we want to thank you uh really so much for your time this has been great i know our listeners are going to love it and you know we could have kept going on and on for sure but we're gonna let you get out of here and enjoy the rest of your
3: evening but awesome uh, been super fun
0: yeah thank you so much and and keep doing keep doing the work you're doing because it is unbelievable and we look we look forward so much to what you guys have in store for us in the future and the best to you and health and happiness too during this nutty time
3: Thanks. Likewise. Yeah. Stay healthy, everybody. <laughs>
1: Thanks. So. Post a picture of your letter though. Don't forget. Yeah.
3: I, I've got a, I've actually got a <laughs> gra- uh, cause it's at work. I can't even access it right now. I mean, at the studio, which I haven't been to since last sure. March, but I know I have a, uh,
0: Just have John Knoll make a render of it. That's all. (laughs) Yeah. John, make me a virtual version of it.
2: (laughs) And then tell him to come on the show.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Hal. You bet. Thanks, Hal.
3: Thanks very much.
0: There you have it. Uh, We hope you guys really enjoyed that interview with Hal Hickel. Um, First off, just we want to thank Hal for your time uh generous uh beyond belief uh with the amount of time you put in and and the stories you told us and uh, everything so uh better than i could have imagined how was a fantastic interview very informative entertaining funny Uh, i don't know what else to say guys
1: he was awesome (laughs) how i am such a big fan of yours i was before this but now i'm even more of a fan and now my Twitter account is a Stan account, so that's where we're at.
2: There you
0: go. i got to start writing letters to people.
1: I know, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. I wrote a letter to J.J. Abrams, and I said, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: I actually really connected with that story because it reminded me of the Mark Hamill thing where I was like, you have that split moment, second where you're like, should I? Should I ask? Always ask always yeah. ask. got nothing to lose there's
2: a there's a yeah. there's a real humanity to to how and a lot of those stories are very similar to things that we've gone through It's a good point, Lacey that you're saying you know, um you know, should I ask? I've been in this situation, you're kicking it over I mean even John said the story about when you guys were at the premiere and stuff, and it's like all of a sudden it's like you know big Bob is there, and it's like, uh, uh and you're just kind of like you're unsure what to do in those <sighs> yeah. moments. I know, um, and I wasn't going to say it during the episode, but like we were talking right at the beginning about what is it like when you start to get into a conversation with someone, you don't know if they're going to be like crazy Star Wars fan or not. Like I have that history with the band where people are, you know, it's like, I don't know if I want to mention like I was in a band or whatnot. And then you're like, oh, what band are you in? You're like, you say the name of the band. It's immediately like, it's either going to go down this route or it's going to go down this route where it's like almost embarrassing that they don't know what or anything about it. So
1: basically the John route or the Lacey route. (laughs) Yeah. Two routes. It's crazy.
2: Um, I don't (laughs) think John knows that much. Did you know much about my band? It doesn't really matter. I heard of you guys. Oh, okay. All right. That's fine. But uh, but no, I mean I I felt very connected to him on that level, um, and uh, was was bought in immediately on on the episode, and it really like paid off as far as uh, yeah. just being able to chat to him like a like a real person. Because I mean that we forget sometimes that these people they have the craziest jobs, but they are just people. Um,
0: yeah, and he's uh, connected through the George era, and it's just more proof when we have these types of people on the show that uh Star Wars is still very much Lucasfilm, and you know when people lazily throw out terms like Disney Star Wars or not my Star Wars. Like these Doug Changs and Hal Hickles and Rob Birdos, yeah, all these people are still around, still making this stuff, and probably better than ever in terms of what they're able to do. So thanks and again big to Hal. fans
1: too. Yes, that's the other thing. Huge, big, big
0: huge fans, fans. And, and you know thanks again to Hal. Uh, hopefully one day we can we can revisit with you again and chat some more because i feel like sometimes in some of those topics we just scratch the surface you know but uh thank you again so much for your time and uh, our best to you in these wild times and, and keep making awesome star wars so thanks hal uh, but we want to thank everyone for listening and watching uh share this episode let people Please. know like check this conversation out with hal hickle i know he's you know bopped around and stuff but uh this was a real fun one and uh make sure you do subscribe to the show tell your friends uh, especially your star wars nerd friends on this one uh so you can subscribe to us everywhere obviously youtube at youtube.com star wars news videos and also all your audio platforms whether that's spotify apple podcast podbean soundcloud wherever you get your podcasts amazon music we're on there too sometimes i forget about that uh and uh, head to uh star wars for all of your star wars news reviews editorials information and more if you love us so much that you want to support what we do here at trb go to patreon.com slash resistance broadcast. We have five tiers there where you can support us starting at $2 a month. Basically just saying you, you believe in TRB and you back us and we have a bunch of extra content on there and exclusive rewards, a cool discord server, monthly mailings, a lot of great stuff and uh, more to come. So we appreciate everyone's support there, especially our generals. And I wanted to give a shout out mm-hmm. to them now. Carmelo, Andrew Staley, Jeremy Myers, Neil Shaw, David Probus, John Reese, Micah Harrison, Jedder Rosewater, Michael Gaines, Russ Harbison, Kendall Gellner, Paul Olson, Jake Houchins, Jeff Connery, Oliver Lewis, Dave Hornack, Frank Grande, and Val Trichkoff. Thank you all so much for all of your support. Thank you. We love you. And you know, um, you can find me on Twitter at Johnny Hoey and StarWarsNewsNet.com and Just Like the Movies podcast. Lacey?
1: You can find my Hal Hickel Stan account at Lacey Gillerin on Twitter and Instagram. Nice. Uh, and also follow The Resistance Broadcast on Instagram at The Resistance Broadcast. Take some screenshots of you listening to the show and tag us and we'll include you in our story.
2: Yes, absolutely. James uh, Twitter and Instagram at Myra trunks and also on this YouTube channel, not on resistance broadcast, but on book discussions where we talk about Claudia gray's into the dark. Uh, spoilers there. If you haven't read the book, we got a video for you that just tells you what happened. So check it out yeah and
0: we'll finally give our overall thoughts three of us on what's going on with that on monday now that people have had time to digest on that uh but until then everyone enjoy your weekends listen to this episode again because this i feel like this is one of those episodes where there's so much you're gonna be like i need to run through that one once more but uh, just listen to me
1: giggle for an hour and a half (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) yeah so uh thank you all so much enjoy your weekends and we'll see you monday morning right here on the resistance broadcast see you around kids